The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. It's time for your weekly trip around the bases with your hometown team. It's Inside Twins, where we dive into the minds of the guys in charge for insight, information, and analysis. Inside Twins is brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. Here's your host of Inside Twins, Corey Provis. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to a special Easter Sunday edition of Inside Twins. I'm Corey Provis today from Target Field, just outside the Thompson Reuters Champions Club final game and the rubber game of this three-game series coming up. In about an hour from now, Twins and the White Sox, the pitching matchup, Hector Santiago on the mound for the Twins. Right-hander James Shields off to a strong start will oppose for Chicago. We welcome your questions today. You can reach us two ways by email, InsideTwins at TwinsBaseball.com or on Twitter, hashtag InsideTwins. And for the second straight Sunday, glad to be joined by the Chief Baseball Officer of the ball club, we welcome back Derek Falvey. Happy holidays, pal. Happy holidays to you. Happy Easter to everyone listening. Yeah, no doubt about that. We are set to go for this ball game today. A bright, sunny day. Should be a great day for baseball here at the ballpark. Before we get to that, your thoughts on, on yesterday. Uh, pitching's been kind of your, your your thing over the years in the uh, from the professional standpoint. Uh, your thoughts on what you saw from Irvin yesterday. And it's always fun when you see a guy like Irvin, who uh, a veteran guy, knows how to pitch, knows how to keep hitters off balance. You know, it's not so much always about the velocity and the strikeouts. You know, that, that that's nice to see from time to time. But I think a guy who really knows how to keep hitters off balance, I love to see a game you know, pitched the way he pitched it, commanding his pitches, spotting his slider where he wanted, the ability to go in whenever he felt like it, and an efficient outing. So uh, it was fun to watch. He's a special pitcher, and uh, worked. We, it was an exciting day for the Twins. Now, we were chatting before the show. Irvin has a no-hitter in his career, came a few years ago, then with the Angels. He did that against the Indians in Cleveland, and you were there working for the Indians at the time, and you saw that performance from behind home plate. I was. I was sitting right there in the first row behind home plate with a couple of our scouts, and uh, you could tell early on in that game he had a really elite slider that day. Uh, and I think uh, what was different maybe about that game versus yesterday, it wasn't so much the command in that game. It was just how good that slider was, how good the stuff was at that time. I think Irvin yesterday um, – was more masterful in the way he pitched, you know, the way he added and subtracted and, and located. I think back in that Cleveland outing, it was a bit more of just relying on how good that slider was that day. And also, too, with that slider, it's not always a chase pitch. It, it, it can be a true strike, and he threw that to both sides of the plate. I think that that's what you, you use those outings uh, as an opportunity to help young pitchers develop, you know, not just guys here at the major league level, but uh, guys throughout your system because we all look at the radar gun. We all think about what that number looks like, and, and that's a big part of it. But what Irvin did yesterday was the ability to change speeds, to, to use your slider, as you said, Corey, for a strike, but the ability to get it off the plate when you needed to, uh, to get a guy to swing and miss. I think that's that's pitching. You know, that That's beyond just being a thrower, and I think for guys like Adel Alberto Mejia, you know, who just pitched the night before, for him to sit there and watch that game and see how a guy pitches and, and, and hones his craft, I think that's something we want all our guys to watch and learn from. And Irvin's a great, you know, as the leader of our staff, he's he's the great guy to do it for us. Now, I want to go back to, to, to Mejia a bit later on in the program, but uh, this note about Irvin from the Elias Sports Bureau I think is is very interesting. It's the second earliest in the calendar that a Twins pitcher and this is going back to the Washington Senators' days as well, has thrown either a complete game no-hitter or a one-hitter. He's the earliest twin to ever do it, but uh, Walter Johnson did so back in mid-April. He beat Irvin by a day, April 14, 1910. So what you saw from Irvin 
Did you get a sense that Irvin was going to come out of the gates the way he has based on spring training? And he was gone briefly uh, with the WBC and the Dominican team. But did you get the sense that, that what you saw from Irvin in camp could translate come opening day? You know, I, I think with Irvin, uh, you have to – this guy's a, a veteran pitcher. He's been around a, a long time, as you talked about. He's throwing a no-hitter in the big leagues. This guy's pitched in postseason games. I mean, this is a guy who knows knows how to pitch, no question. So I think what you recognize when you see a guy like that is, is even going back to last season, really – this guy's pitched ex- exceptionally well now for a good chunk of time, and he knows how to go about his work. And, and that work sometimes in spring training is maybe commanding his fastball for a given day but not working that much on his secondary. So you, there's a, an immense amount of trust you place in that guy to go through spring training. And I think what we've seen is the reality is that you use those months in February March to get ready for the season. Now, sometimes that leads to outings and otherwise that maybe we overreact to in terms of quality in spring training, but it might be that a guy's working on the changeup for that day, and it's maybe not the pitch that he, he knows is his best pitch right now, but that's the best time to do it in mid-February and, and early March. So uh, I think what we saw from Irvin this spring was uh, just an ability to continue to build and build up to where he needed to be to start the season. Well, he's a professional. We knew he'd start the season where he needed to be. What do you hope that not just starters and not just Mejia, but other guys on the team, starters, bullpen guys, if they're going to watch and study why Urban was so good yesterday, why he's been so solid to start the year, more than just the numbers, the lack of hits and the lack of runs, what do you want them to truly take away from watching what Urban Santana does? I think what Urban does, we, we touched on it briefly, but uh, learning how to pitch, you know, change, transitioning from a thrower to a pitcher, I think is something that all young pitchers go through at some point in their career. What I mean by that is as the situation ramps up and runners get on or your command's not there, a lot of young guys try and throw through that with more effort. More, more intensity, more velocity, more. They get frustrated with themselves, and then and then they try and attack harder. And I think what Irvin does so well is he's so even, even keel in the way he goes about attacking hitters that he realizes sometimes when your command isn't right where it needs to be with your fastball or with your slider, he knows how to dial it backwards and and actually let a little off to to make sure that he gets that strike. But what you saw yesterday was a guy who commanded his pitches, you know, know, knew how to use them, use multiple pitches. I think that's where in A ball sometimes a, a pitcher with a really good curveball can get away with throwing that a lot. And so you fall in love with it and you throw it over and over again when you realize that the best thing he can do right then is throw his changeup more mm-hmm. because that will allow him to be effective once he finally gets to the major leagues. And we need to impress upon young players that it's not just the performance at the end of the day in the minor leagues that's going to get you to the major leagues. It's working on the things that are that are difficult, that are challenging, that are you're being willing to fail. And sometimes that won't lead to the best line at the end of the day. And you might not be the pitcher of the week that week in Cedar Rapids. Mm-hmm. That's okay. That's an opportunity to grow and develop and learn. Uh, that's a good segue. We'll take a break, come back, and on that note, uh, Derek's thoughts on the start of Jose Barrios and how long the Twins will stick with 13 pitchers with the innings they're getting from the starters for the most part to start the year. More with Derek Falvey next. Inside Twins rolls on. Easter Sunday edition on your home for Twins baseball. This is the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Welcome back. Inside Twins brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. Easter Sunday from the ballpark. Twins and the White Sox rubber game of the series coming up at 310. This program until the bottom of the hour. Chris standing by with the pregame show. Hector Santiago and James Shields. We touched on Urban Santana, Derek, back in our first segment, staying with pitching 
and most notably sticking with 13 pitchers. That's the way the Twins kind of began the season. You find yourself, the team does, early in a stretch of continual play. With the innings you're getting, and it's easy to ask after you get a complete game like you did yesterday, but will this will this stick around for a bit longer? Do you, do you see the team holding 13 pitchers for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think as we talked about uh, last week and even before that, when we went with 13, you realize you're opening in a lot of cold-weather cities. You're not sure what the weather's going to bring. Great example of that is the last couple of days against mm-hmm. the White Sox. I think going into Friday's game, and we weren't sure that one was going to be played with the way the weather looked. And then even yesterday, you weren't sure a few days out whether or not Saturday was going to look great. We've been very fortunate with the weather, I think. So uh, certainly that hasn't come into play. Uh, but I think we'll evaluate it day by day. I think the the reality is we've been able to get all those guys in the game. I think one of the things you worry about when you go with 13 is uh, can you get can you get all those guys you know, enough innings where they're fresh, where they're being used, where it's impacting you. And we've seen we've been able to do that. I think it's given Paul the flexibility in some games to allow a guy like Justin Haley to go a little bit deeper into a game, knowing he has some other arms behind him. Uh, so we've been we'll take this one day by day and and maximize our roster. I think Paul's done a great job of using our bench and having the ability to rotate guys through, keep those players fresh. I think the guys that didn't start the season as as regulars have had more plate appearances than I haven't looked this up, but I'm sure than most teams have for most of their bench players. So this has been a, a good fit for us here in the early going, but we'll pivot when we need to. Craig Breslow has appeared in in just three games uh, to start the season. Is it too early to judge? whether or not the new arm slot, the new motion, the new action is working well for him? I, I think for Craig, he feels good. You know, we saw it in spring training. We saw the things that were going well. We saw what he was learning from. I, I think with relievers, it's really hard to judge anything in the early stages of a season. There's, it's just so few innings, so few appearances, as you just talked about with Craig. I think we need to see this over a much longer period of time to assess you know, where he is because it's a meaningful change. I think uh, Craig's done a, a really good job of of staying consistent with it, working in his bullpens, making sure that he feels good when he comes into games, and he's been effective for us. Now, speaking of the bullpen, a guy who has really stood out to me has been Tyler Duffy. The, the, the innings he has received, he moved over with that breaking ball now, facing right-handed batters, got a tip about that from Burp Lylevin, a guy that you know can start, be a long man, but maybe situational as well. Yeah, I think Tyler has the ability to do a lot of things to help a team win. And I do what we've said from the get-go, and, and even when we made the decision to go with Mejia in the fifth slot, is I view Tyler Duffy as a, a guy who has a chance to start for us and still be a, a, a member of our rotation that will help us long-term. That doesn't mean you see guys you know, across the league at different times go into a bullpen for a period of time, help a team in that role, and then have a chance to start at some point in the future. So we want to make sure that we're just continuing to focus on his development, development of uh, command of his pitches, you know, managing how he gets through a game, uh, but also you know, continuing the development of that changeup because I think we saw some really bright spots with that pitch in spring training, and we want to continue to enforce that that's an important part of his development long term. Going back to something you brought up during our, our first segment, that it's not always the numbers that define a player's success or lack thereof. Jose Brios, for example, a few starts with Rochester, amazing numbers. You, you, you pull those away and you peel a layer back. What else are you seeing good and bad about the way he's throwing? You know, I think with Jose, we, we talked during the course of spring training. We had a chance to work with him early. He went off to the WBC, which was a great experience for him, but it did get him out of our camp for a little while, so we couldn't work as actively on some of the same goals that we had set in the beginning of camp. 
as we got toward the back end, we made some adjustments to, to his plan specific to how he worked, you know, as, as a pitcher, stuff that uh, Eric Rasmussen, Neil Allen, Stu Clyburn, the group all together worked together to build this plan. Uh, and we feel he's really effectively uh, shown how that's played out in the, in the first couple of starts. He's fastball command's gotten a little bit better. He's, you know, he's attacking the zone more consistently. I think in his start the other day, he only got to two ball counts, I think two times, you know, through the course of that start. So uh, we've had a chance to see him continue to mature as a pitcher. Now, he had some you know, performance in the Major League last year, some up, some down. Uh, certainly there's, you know, with young players, when they get to the Major League level, you'd hope that it would be consistent and there was a linear progression and you'd get there and, and just be the, you know, the pitcher you're going to be long-term right away. The reality is that's just not the case. So we need to make sure we're consistent with the messaging with Jose, uh, making sure he's following his plan and his goal and setting those goals each and every start. And in the early going, we're really excited with what he's done. And the goals when he does get up here, even going back to last year, is is this further proof that what has held him back is not mechanical, that it's just kind of a, a mental challenge for a young a young pitcher right now? I think it's a blend. I think, you know, when you try and identify just one thing with a player, I think you start to realize that you're working within shades of gray. So you know, mechanics more consistently, getting a consistent release point, you know, really attacking the zone, being able to command his fastball to the same place, that's a combination of both mental and physical. So I think Jose's getting more and more experience now. He's a young he's still a really young kid. So getting that experience at the upper levels of the minor leagues and having had some at the major league level, we'll see that maturity translate over time. Uh, where we where we believe he's going to be a meaningful pitcher for us. All right, time for a break. We'll come back and shift gears and talk a little offense, get uh, Derek's thoughts on Byron Buxton's first two weeks this season. That and more coming up. Inside Twins continues on your home for Twins baseball. Welcome back. Inside Twins continues. Brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. Corey Provis alongside Twins Chief Baseball Officer, Derek Falvey, we have spent time on pitching. Let's kind of move now to offense. And, you know, Byron Buxton, 40 at-bats, and he can't help but, but, but talk about and, and look at the 21 strikeouts. When you see those numbers continue to climb, uh, what's your assessment? You know, I think Byron's had certainly not the start that he's looking for offensively. I think the thing that you look for with a young player, we just talked a little bit about pitching, about the struggles that young players can go through, uh, is that you see that, He's gone about his work the same way every day. He continues to get in the cage with James Rousen and work with the coaching staff and find ways to, to improve. And so uh, I'm, it's important to me, for me to see that you know, the confidence is still there and that the belief remains you know, in, with where he is as a player because we believe in him. We believe in him and we want to know that, that he believes in himself. Uh, again, like we said about pitching, while we want all players to perform at their peak level right away, there are some ups and downs. And uh, Byron yesterday, I think, had a good day, you know, had a chance to drive a ball to the right center gap, you know, get himself on a, on a good roll here. The other thing I, I don't, I would be remiss if I didn't, if I didn't mention is just how good the defense has yeah. been. And I think there's a lot of ways to impact a baseball game. And sometimes not all of those are going well at the same time. So we want to make sure that Byron's focused on how does he help us win every night. And we're, we're confident long-term he's going to have a chance to, to be the offensive player we all want to see. But he's going through some, some tough times right now, and we're going to continue to support him. I thought Brian Dozier nailed it this week. Uh, this was on the last road trip. This was after the Twins lost Tuesday in Detroit to go to 5-2. and two. And he said, yeah, you know, Buxton's fighting it. He's not alone. Many are. But the Twins are not 5-2 and two without Buxton and the defense he's playing. So with that being said, can you ignore and put aside the offensive struggle and say he still has a very important role with this team because 
of what he does in center. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know there's a there's an element to this that the goal ultimately is to win baseball games, and let's find a way to play good defense. Let's pitch. Let's stay in the game and run the base as well. Let's certainly put up the offense to score the runs that you know have more than they do. And I think I think in Byron's case. He's had the ability to impact us in a number of different areas across the game. So we want to make sure we're continuing to enhance those while helping to support the areas that might be opportunities for development right now. And and, and, and Brian's comments, I think, were, were spot on, which is we need to find ways to, to support players who are struggling because we'll have pitchers who struggle. We'll have guys in the infield who are going to struggle. We're going to have outfielders who will struggle. So we want to make sure that we're finding ways to support and, and get guys through each of those stages of their career. I would imagine, too, that if a player is struggling, this maybe goes vice versa. But in this case, if you're struggling offensively and you take that out to your defense, then a roster move maybe is an easier call to make because he can't separate the two. Exactly right. I think you, you, what you're talking about right there is what I've been attentive to in, in Byron. The way he's gone about his work, he's continuing to progress you know, in the cage and, and trying to get himself where he needs to be offensively, but his work on defense hasn't changed. And when he gets on base and running the bases, we saw it the other day, he gets on first base, he's on second and a few pitches later, on third a few pitches after that. He's not looking to, to sulk, you know, to be, he's certainly frustrated, but he's He's channeling that frustration into positive development steps and continuing to find ways to impact us on the on the field. That's what's important. Jorge Polanco has committed one error at short, but you go back to spring training. The first couple of weeks, a lot of short hop throws to first, but as camp went along, the arm got better. It was stronger. It was accurate. And, and that's what we've seen here, whether it's been here or on the road. To me, Polanco's defense also, I, I think, should be advertised. It's been pretty good, right? You know, I think that what you're talking about, it's, it's interesting that you brought this up right on the heels of Buck because it's a great example of the, the value in staying with a player and being consistent with the, your belief and your approach to how he goes about his work. This is a, a long season, and when you add spring training and hopefully playoff baseball at some point along the way here, you add a lot of months together. Uh, you can react quickly to short samples of performance over the course of uh, short stretches in a season, particularly out in the, coming out of opening day. And I think Jorge at the beginning of spring training, maybe not where he needed to be defensively, but the work Gene Glenn put in every day you know, at shortstop to continue to reinforce how much we believed in his ability there and never ran from that, uh, I think you're seeing that show up now. And, and that's the same on the offensive side with guys like Buck and others. All right, we'll take our last break, come back, and wrap up Inside Twins in a moment on your home for Twins Baseball. Wrapping up Inside Twins, brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. Corey Provost alongside Derek Falvey. Fans, and I'd put myself included, just have, have fun looking at the lineup every single day, and, and you look at all the different guys in different spots. Traditionally, should they be there? Do we all put too much into that each and every day? You know, I, I think I, I agree with you. I, I like looking at it. I like seeing where guys are. I think on a day-to-day basis, you know, Paul's just looking to extract as much potential out of that lineup when he creates it. And I think, uh, you know, we've seen guys over the last number of years, whether it's Joe Madden or others, that you know, are kind of moving guys around throughout the course of a season. I think you want to balance the comfort that a player has you know, where he's hitting in the lineup. But uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't overthink that stuff. You know, I think ultimately you're going to put a, put together a good lineup and you, know, you get all your guys going at the same time and you're going to score some runs no matter where they're hitting. So uh, I, I I would say maybe we put a little bit too much stock into it. Five seconds. Terry Francona is going to see you tomorrow. First thing he's going to say. He's just going to give me a hug. That's my that's my guess. That's my first guess. I don't know what he's going to say. <laughs> All right, great job. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Court. Uh, we thank Derek Falvey for his time. Stay tuned. Chris's pregame show is coming up next. Then it's game three, Twins and the White Sox, and you're home for Twins Baseball. <laughs> 